I'll be reading Psalm 25, 8 through 11. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep his demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Seated. There's, a, as Mark mentioned here earlier, today is Life Group Day, and so that's, that's always such a, a rich time for us is, uh, to be able to go into to homes and to just, or, or if you, you stay here at the building afterwards, but just share some, some thoughts and, uh, and some food usually. And, and those are times that are, that are greatly important for spiritual development, having that, that smaller group where, you, where we can share. And so I know this is a day that, that all of us can be able to participate in those life groups. I know Rob puts a lot of time, and the life group leaders do as well, in order to, to make the groups run. And, and that's just a, a wonderful, wonderful time that, that's available today. Now, I'm, I'm going to share a story, and I might turn red sharing this story, okay? I'm just going to say it right out front here, so if you wonder, what on earth is going on with Chris right there? But So when I was a kid, I was probably, I don't know, 11 or 12 or something like that at the time. And we had a, an event in the church where I was growing up, and uh, and there was a uh, people sitting around in like a big circle, and I I sat on the front, and there's people around, there's people in front of me, there's people behind me, and everybody is looking at each other, okay? Which which is intimidating enough for an 11 or 12 year old as I'm I'm sitting there, and I remember there was some some guests from out of town that were there. I think it must have been a singing. Um, I don't I don't remember exactly. I just this is the only thing I remember about it. Okay, I remember. The daughter of one of the guests from out of town came over and sat down next to me. And as I look across, I see some of the adults go, ooh, like that. And I thought, oh no. And I turned red. And I, I mean, I didn't want to look at anybody. And I sat there and, and there's a, there's a, a side of me that is definitely shy. And I was absolutely in this uncomfortable situation that I wanted to get up and disappear and whatever. And this poor little girl, who knows what's going on in her head, but I just remember that terribly, terribly uncomfortable situation, okay? Have any of you ever been in some kind of situation like that? Okay? Yeah, there's a reason I never tease my kids about stuff like that, because I don't want them to have to suffer the same sort of things that I did. Um, anyway, there is a... That, that uncomfortable situation, I remember just what was going on inside of me thinking, what on earth is going on here? I'm not sure, but I don't like this because this really pulls me out of my comfort zone. In my 11 or 12-year-old mind, I couldn't express words. It was just, I don't like this sort of thing. And we're going to see an uncomfortable situation, uh, not so much for Jesus, but for other people today. And Jesus uses this as a, as a, a further teaching example. And as we've been going through Luke, we see that uh, last week Jesus spent some time talking about John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was people was a was a great prophet, and people who, on the side of wisdom, understood the message of John and decided to follow that. But people who didn't have the great wisdom from God didn't see the wisdom of John. They they weren't interested in following him at all. But look at verse thirty six. We're going to start there. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. 
As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Can you imagine how uncomfortable that situation would be right there for people sitting around? Okay, So we're going to walk through this a little bit. it, this, this is a powerful story because it shows something. There's two ancient problems that we have here. Okay? And before we look at these ancient problems, something that's, that's important to note here is sometimes history and tradition has a way of influencing how we look at, at specific situations. And this is one of them. Okay, how many of you, and, and you, okay, no shame in raising your hand here, okay? how many of you have ever... I have ever heard or understood that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute? Okay? Yeah. Okay. Lots of hands go up. Here's the, here's the deal. Okay? There is a story in each one of the Gospels that talk about someone anointing Jesus, a woman anointing Jesus. Okay? Matthew, Mark, and John all talk about that happening right before Jesus goes to the cross and is executed. And Luke, it's much, much earlier in it. The others, or Matthew and Luke, or Matthew and Mark talk about Mary Magdalene, or a woman anointing Jesus' head. And John talks about a situation, a different anointing that happens at the, or, or at a house of, of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And so you look at these situations, is, is all of these are not the same situation, okay? Anointing a head is, is a ceremonial anointing, and washing the feet is something different. And so it's interesting that just how sometimes we, we take scriptures and, or different situations and put them together is this sinful woman here is, is not Mary Magdalene. At least it would be really hard to reconcile all these different stories. And nowhere in scripture does it say that Mary Magdalene was, was a prostitute, okay? And so it's one of those weird traditions that comes through time, and, and so we, we end up... And so you just imagine running into Mary Magdalene in heaven someday and say, Hey, hey Mary, how's it going? You know, what, you know, ask her about life. She says, Hey, uh, life is great. It was fantastic. Uh, I was able to... Um, to sit at Jesus' feet and learn a lot about him and anoint his, his head before he went to the tomb. But just so you know, I wasn't a prostitute, okay? That was one of those stories that got going, and that's just not, not exactly the story that happened. And so here we have someone that is unnamed. We don't know who she is. We don't know anything about her except this story right here. But Jesus is sitting here in this situation, and, and sitting, is, if he's eating, what's happening is he's leaning on his left elbow, with his feet back, and he's eating. That's how traditionally the, the people of this time period, especially the Jews, would, would eat around a, a common area. And so you have Jesus going to the house of this Pharisee, and something really strange happens because this lady who lived a sinful life, and we don't know what that looks like or what that means at all, except that she was outside of the circle of the religious elite. And so she comes in, and she takes this, this perfume that is expensive, and starts cleaning Jesus' feet, crying, weeping, and washing his feet and anointing them with this, this, this oil. And look, you look at her situation, when we back up and we look at it, I think she is one who is very aware of her sin, right? Yeah, she's weeping, she's demonstrating this repentance, her, she's cut to the heart. But I wonder if she doesn't come to Jesus because she really has little hope on how things can change for her. And um, you can imagine this situation that she's in. 
She has, has lived this sinful life. She is very aware of it, more aware of it than anybody else is. And because she is absolutely t- cut to the heart, she knows that she, how on earth do I go to the religious leaders? What they're going to tell me is they're going to give me lectures. All this, this stuff's going to happen. But they will not give me hope. The only person that I've heard speak about hope for my situation is this Jesus. And so I'm going to go to him because that's the only thing, that, the only person that I can figure out that's going to give me any sort of hope that the future is going to be better than the past. Sure, I can get a lecture. Sure, I can be criticized. I've got all that. I've done it before. But how can things be better? And she walks into this house, the uninvited guest, and washes Jesus' feet there and shows this great repentance because she's looking for something. She's got a little hope for herself. Very aware of her sin, but a little hope for herself. But across the table, you have someone else that's sitting there. His name is Simon that we'll see here in just a minute. It's not Simon Peter. It's, it's a common name from that time. But it's this Pharisee, and he's looking across the table. You can imagine him looking at this situation thinking, huh, because we, we know what he thinks, right? Because Luke tells us. He says, oh, man, if that Jesus knew who that woman was, I don't think he would let her touch him. Nope, this is, this is pretty awkward here for us to, to watch this happen. And we're going to see because Jesus gives a solution to this ancient problem here in just a minute. But what's noteworthy here is Simon doesn't seem to be aware of his own sin himself. Now, immediately what he does is he doesn't look at that woman and say, wow, what a tremendous demonstration of faith right here. He looks and says, oh, we've been down this road before. That girl's a mess. And he's got this false hope in himself that everything's fine, everything's good. I don't need to look at myself or anything because I'm, I'm sitting at the table here. I'm part of this the, the honored inner circle here. And... Uh, He's just not aware of his own shortcomings. He is very quick to point out what other people's shortcomings are. As Jesus talked a few weeks ago about the log in their own eye, but not having, being, trying to take the speck out of others' eye, but, but having this giant log in their own eye. And so he's wrestling with this. Uh, he doesn't even realize it. He just looks across the table and says, oh, messy. And these are two ancient problems that we have here in this story, is that she is aware of her sin but has little hope, and he isn't aware of his sin at all and has false hope that everything's just fine. So if we fast forward to today, we have two modern problems that are the same, don't we? Is we can be aware of our sin but have absolutely no hope whatsoever. There's a story that, uh, or something that happened to me years ago. I got in touch with this young guy who was, uh, he, had, he had had all sorts of run-ins with the law and, and he was in a pretty rough shape himself. And I remember he started coming and participating with worship and he started making friends in the church and he started, uh, you could, he started uh, um, meeting with me on a regular basis and reading through scripture. And you could see him be cut to the heart and his repentance starting to, to take root. Well, something happened and I didn't see him for a few weeks. And I, I found out later, as he told me, as he fell into this this bad crowd, he had somehow participated, and, and he, would, he never told me the details, he had somehow participated in a, some kind of a, a seance of some sort that had some connection with Satan worship. And he uh, came back to me, and his head was down, and he was weeping, and you could see the pain and the hurt that he had in his heart, and he said, Chris, there is no way on earth that God can ever forgive me for what I did.
aware of his sin, and he had no hope whatsoever. And there's a few situations that I've run into those type of of people that are broken to to that extent is they're they're very aware of their sin, but have real really no hope for things getting any better or things being any different. And and sometimes what happens is is if they can see hope, if we can see hope when we're in situations like that, we can see the future is better than the past. There's great great possibilities for the future. But sometimes what happens is is we get it in our head to such an extent that there's no way that God could ever forgive who I am and what I've been involved with. Therefore, I shouldn't even try, and I'm just going to bail and I'm just going to run because it's, it's not worth it. And I, that, those situations hurt my heart a lot because I think it's just not understanding who God is and the, and the great blessings that Jesus brought to the world. But I wonder for myself, thinking through this, is that if people who are very aware of their sin hear from me only, or hear from us as Christians only, shouldn't do that, shouldn't do that, shouldn't do that, and experience no hope, and are given no hope, then we have not shared the message of Jesus. All we've done is exactly the same thing the Pharisees have done, is showed, showed people exactly what is wrong, and not given hope that things can be greater and better. You follow me? And so that is, that's a problem that, that this lady, the sinful woman, had, and, and it can sure happen to us too. And, uh, and so we'll, we'll come back to that. But as Christians, if we are not the ones that are sharing hope and demonstrating hope to the rest of the world around us, all we're doing is, being rule, is, is making rules for everybody. And we're missing out some of the most important aspects of the gospel. There's another aspect of this is that we can be not aware of our sin at all and have false hope. Here's a couple of examples I thought about just, just for, um, that, that I run across from time to time and uh, for, that I see in myself. Now, sometimes I'll have a, I meet with people at one of the coffee shops here in town, and sometimes someone will min, mention, uh, uh, we'll see that we've got the Bible out and come over and talk and have something to, to, to share or questions. And, and uh, there was a time recently where, where this gentleman came over and was asking questions about the church, and one of the things that he mentioned was, well, I'm just kind of looking for a church that uh, kind of fits what, what, I, I'm, what I'm about. And... You, you see the, the shortcoming in that is that the gentleman is saying, I am the judge of what God's church should look like. And when I find one that is, that makes, that is comfortable for me, then I'm going to, I'm going to per, pursue that. And there, it's really seductive, it's really deceptive, but it can take us in a terrible direction because ultimately the question we should be asking is what does God want for me, not what do I want or what do I want to be comfortable with or what do I prefer, but what does God want for me? And in those situations, we can have this sin of, of selfishness and not be aware of it and have this false hope there. You see? You see how that can work? Or think about this, and this is, okay, I'm looking at the mirror here. I grew up in church, have good parents, all that sort of thing. I've been a part of the church a long time. There's a lot of different ways we can say it, and I'm good. And I lack, I can lack conviction to really look at the sin that I have in the mirror and, uh, and just go on with life, and it's, it's all good. Think about it. Uh, there, there is, I've, I've heard it said before, that people who grew up in the church or grew up in Christian homes are not as excited about their faith as people who come, become Christians as adults. Okay, that can happen, but I don't, it doesn't have to. That's a choice that we make. That's it. 
Okay, whatever our background is, we have the decision that I'm going to pick God first, and I'm going to be excited about my faith or the faith that God has given me, and I'm going to pursue that. But you see, if we, if we look at this and say, you know, I grew up in good context, and we don't usually are wise enough not to say that, but if we demonstrate it, then uh, we're really not aware of the sin in our life. And oftentimes, we have various sins that, that God could list, but we don't maybe count those as, as really important because there's always somebody else that has, has sinned in a way that demonstrates a lot greater spiritual depravity or a lot greater consequences than me, okay? And I think you find this situation with Simon is I'm sure he sat around that table thinking, hey, I'm good, that lady's a mess. But we can really miss our own shortcomings ourselves, not be aware of our own sin and have false hope. Or we can be... As, as people so distracted with so many different things in this world that God is maybe four or five on the list somewhere down there because we've got all these different things going on, all that other stuff, and not realize that what we're doing really is we're participating in idolatry because everything else is, or several other things are more important than, than God. And, and we miss out, and we've put our, we find ourselves exactly in the situation that Simon is, is that we're just not aware of our own sin because we're not reflective enough. And we've got this false hope that everything's good, everything's fine, and we just walk along through life without realizing that, that we don't have much hope at all. Here's a problem that was, that was true for, for this, uh, this woman and for Simon, and it's true for us as well. And so Jesus never leaves us there. He never leaves us with, oh, here's your problem. There you are, man. <laughs> Tough deal. Yeah, wish I wasn't you. He doesn't leave us there. What he does is he provides a solution. So let's continue on reading in verse 40. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them would love him more? So a denarius, is about, a denarius is about a day's wage. So there's a big difference there, right? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Man, powerful situation here. And this woman walks away finding hope that she had never found before. So here's a few things that we can walk through here as a solution that I, I think we see from this. Okay, Simon, let's talk about him first. Simon is there, and he's watching all of this. And and Simon is one that at this point in time is not willing to acknowledge the own sin in his life. Okay? The sin is there somewhere else, it's there with somebody else, I'm good, I'm fine, all of this. And you see some of that in the way that he treats Jesus, is that it, it was customary for when someone comes into a house that is an honored guest, you give them water to wash their feet, oftentimes a servant would wash their feet, and then you give them a greeting, a kiss, okay? We don't, now here in Montana, guys don't, you know, we don't do that, okay? That was one of the toughest things for me moving to Italy, having to learn to kiss guys on the cheek. 
hey, had to really get over myself and, and overcome that cultural barrel, barrier. But it's like Jesus is, is telling him here, Simon, I came into your house and you didn't even show me where the restroom was to wash my hands and you didn't even shake my hand when I came in here. Okay, so Simon is, Jesus is probably one of many people there, and Simon is not overly impressed with Jesus at this point at all. And, and Jesus makes a point here, Simon, that you didn't give me any of this, but this woman comes in. She understands something that you don't at this point in time. This woman comes in, and not only does she wash my feet, but she kisses my feet. She gives a greeting to me that you didn't give to me. And so Simon, because he was not willing to acknowledge his sin, if we don't acknowledge sin, can we really repent of it? No. Can we really believe in the promise of God's forgiveness or faith or live with hope? Does anything get better for us if we are not willing to acknowledge sin? No. If we can't see the own sin inside of us, then things don't get better because we're always looking at how bad that person is, how bad that person is, and looking somewhere else. But this woman did something different. You see what she did. She comes in. She evidently acknowledges her sin immediately. She demonstrates. Maybe this is one of the most beautiful demonstrations of repentance that we have in Scripture. She's weeping, she's, she's there, she's blessing Jesus and, and greeting him and washing his feet that the guest of the house didn't do at all. But she is believes somewhere deeply that Jesus is the only way that she's going to find hope here. And so she's willing to believe in God's promise of, of forgiveness. It's like a... Uh, Christopher read here just a minute ago is, is God's promise of, of forgiveness in Psalms there and willing to be able to live with hope. And I can imagine her leaving this house and leaving this situation as, as she is, as Jesus has just told her, your faith has saved you, go in peace. And she walks out of that house with these burdens that have been on her shoulders for who knows how long and they're gone. And she's able to walk away saying, man, Whoever this guy is, I'm following him because this person gave me hope. No one has given me hope before, and I'm able to walk out of here knowing that the future is better than the past. That's what hope is all about. And she's excited, and she's got this levity, and she's got this, this, uh, this great sense of forgiveness. And maybe she felt it, maybe she didn't, maybe she just knew it, but she knew that she could leave there and be in a different spot than she was before. The solution that we see this woman follow is, is really the same for us, isn't it? Is our modern solution is that, first of all, we start with acknowledging sin. I found a scripture um, long ago that helps me look through this. Romans chapter 3, verses 23. And Paul is, is walking through Romans, and he's sharing with the Jews and the Gentiles there that they're not all that different. They may dress differently. They may have a different diet. They may be different, see a lot of differences among themselves. But there's one thing that they have in common. Chapter 3, verses 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if we don't understand that and are not clear on that, then we can experience the, the forgiveness and, and hope of Jesus. Because it all starts there. It all starts there with understanding that, yes, I may not have the sin of somebody else that, that, that seems much, much uh, darker, that there's greater consequences for, but I have sin nonetheless. I, when I look down through the, uh, the, the list of sins and the, the acts of the sinful nature in Galatians chapter 5, you know, sexual immorality is the first one there. But if you continue to look down there, you see divisiveness, factions, envy, all of these different things 
that we may participate in on a regular basis, it's just not as evident, it's just not as clear, it's not as visible. And so you look at those things, and for any one of us, no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, if we can't look at that list or some of the lists that we find in Ephesians of, of things that are the opposite of living by the Spirit, and find some of those those list of sins and, and shortcomings on those lists, if we can't look at those and say, ooh, that's me, then we are not being honest with ourselves. And that's the reality. Because we find those shortcomings there in our lives somewhere. And acknowledging that is important. And once we acknowledge that, then we can repent and say, God, I don't want to be that way anymore. I want to go a different direction. I want things to be changed. I want things to be different. People I haven't forgiven, I want to do that now. And we believe God's promises of forgiveness and faith, and we're able to live with hope. Let's go to 1 John chapter 1. This is a passage that I, I like to go back to periodically because it explains this in a way that's, that's, um, that's so encouraging for me and gives hope. 1 John 1, verse 5, I'll start there. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Okay, Like the, the analogy we've used before, it's about direction. What direction? Am I going a direction that's towards God? That's living in the light. If I'm going the opposite direction, away from God, that's, that's pursuing the darkness. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So number one, we walk in the light, there's fellowship with one another. Fellowship with us and God, fellowship with each other that we're walking side by side and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So continually purifies us from all unrighteousness. And so the big question is, well, I've become a Christian, but what happens when I sin? Or what happens if I've got this sin that just can't seem to shake loose? Continue to walk towards God and Jesus' blood continues to purify us. And over time, God's spirit... As Romans says, we're more than conquerors. He allows us to leave all that stuff behind and go on to uh, places of, of, uh, of peace and hope that we wouldn't have otherwise. Look at verse 8. But if we claim to be without sin, and that's in essence what the Pharisee Simon did in the story from Luke. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. And he continues on there, and there's a lot more we can say about it. But I believe what's important for us to catch from this is that it's vitally important for us to understand that having faith that God can forgive and God will forgive is vitally important for us to, to be able to continue to move and experience this hope that God wants for us. And if we're not willing to acknowledge the own sin in our life, then we're, gonna, we're not going to realize the stuff that we're missing out on. Okay? So here's what it boils down to, is that what God asks of us is to beware of our sin, acknowledge it, repent of it, and live with great hope. And sometimes we feel that, sometimes we don't feel that, but the reality is is that if we believe the promises of God, it's there whether we feel like it or not, right? And so our job is just to continue to pursue God um, and continue to walk in the light. There's an analogy that I've used with some of you before, but I think it's helpful for me to think about it. 
Okay, we got Super Bowl today. How many of you are going to drink pop during the Super Bowl at some point in time? Okay, yeah. Some of you. Okay, how many of you have ever taken a bottle of pop and shaken it up? Okay, do not do this in your house. If you're a kid, Lane, don't do this in your house today, okay? Don't, all right? Or my house, because you're a life group. Don't do that either, okay? But you shake up this bottle of pop. You notice how, how firm it is, how those sides just want to, they're wanting to expand. And I think that's the situation where Simon is at, um, that we see in the story, is that he's got all of this stuff inside of him. He doesn't even realize the tension there. He doesn't realize because he's, he's good, he's fine. But when that cap comes off, what happens? <laughs> there it goes everywhere. And what we're seeing from this woman here at this point in time is she's lived a, a situation like that before uh, as well, a sinful life, whatever that means. But it's like this, this bottle of Coke that has just got all this pressure that is built up in there. And what Jesus does is he takes the top off. And it's messy. It blows everywhere for a little bit. But that pressure is relieved. And she's able to walk out of there with the, the Son of God, the creator of the world, saying, Woman, your faith has healed you. Your sins are forgiven and go in peace. And that's a message for us. Uh, let's not ever be people that, that walk through life just continually pointing at someone else and missing the sin in our own, our, our own selves. But let's be people that are, are willing to uh, look at our own selves and, and repent of the sin that we have in our life and embrace that God has got this great plan of forgiveness and live in hope and walk forward. And I believe that the more we show hope to the world around us, the more people are excited about what Christ has brought to this world. And if there's something that's, that's on your heart, you're thinking, oh man, Chris, did you write this for me? Okay, now people say that sometimes. They'll come up and say, Chris, you, did, were you preaching? No, I don't do that, okay? I don't think, you know, craft a lesson and say, ooh, somebody needs to hear this, so I'm going to preach about it, okay? No, that's, that's not how I roll. That's not, a, that's not a good practice. But I know for myself, walking through Scripture, the words of Jesus and the stories of Jesus have a way of getting into me and changing me and transforming me and help me realize, man, I've got some shortcomings that, that, uh, that, that God is calling me to change and to grow beyond. Hey, if you're sitting here today thinking, oh, man, yeah, I can, I can identify with Simon. I get that. Mm-hmm. Yep, I know exactly what's happened. Then great. That's a great path. It's a great place to be in. And uh, let's, my hope and my prayer for, for myself and for all of us is that this day and every day is that we be people that are transparent and, uh, and take Jesus at his word, that his, our faith can continue to heal us and bring us into a place of hope that we could never imagine otherwise. And that's what hope is. The future is better than the past. I pray for every one of us that tomorrow, the next day, next week, next year, is better than right now because we learn to live more and more in faith and the hope of Jesus. If you'd like to uh, have prayers to the church today, you're welcome to go to the back. The elders are waiting there with you. If you'd like to become a Christian today and, uh, and be baptized, you're welcome to do that as well. Let's stand and sing together.